0: Alright, well it is wonderful to be here. Let me turn on my mic here. It's wonderful to be here with you all. Uh, My brother and I kind of got a late start this morning. Uh, We're home alone this week. Uh, My uh, parents and my sisters are in Connecticut visiting another sister of mine and her three kids. And her husband... He's stationed in the Navy there, and uh, so they, I'm sure, are having a wonderful time. Um, but we—I woke up at quarter to eight, and I called my brother, and I'm like, "It's almost eight o'clock. We should probably get up." So here I am. Um, <laughs> well, yes, and then I—well, then I called. Bob, just to make sure we were still meeting here uh, because of the weather. Actually, when I looked at the weather forecast on Friday, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it here because they were saying 4 to 8 inches between uh, Friday and Sunday, and who knew what that would actually look like? But um, I'm here and grateful to be so. Um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an update um, on my van. I have now, uh, I now have sixteen thousand three hundred and seventy-five dollars, roughly, to pay off on it. But the Lord has really blessed. I've been able to um, to pay um, uh, above the minimum payment every time, which is a blessing. And I just completed my first semester of working uh, for Potter's House Christian School which means the next two weeks I get time off, which is something kind of exciting and one of the perks of having a school job. So I'm blessed to be able to be here and to share those announcements with you and to anyone who may be listening on the audio later. All right. Well, um, today we are, are opening our Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And uh, for those of you who have been here for the last uh, three and a half years, actually, you know we've been slowly and methodically making our way through the book of Luke. And so I'm I'm very excited um, because I think that this has been a very profitable study to me personally. And I hope and pray that it has... To you as well, and so this, this this morning's message is about proper attitudes of prayer. Proper attitudes of prayer, and so our first point is to be persistent in prayer. I don't know about you, but I have had times when it feels like I'm praying for the same things over and over again. And I've had, you know, certain people at times say, well, once you've prayed about it for a certain length of time, you know, kind of just let it go and, and let God do what He's going to do and don't worry about praying about it so much. And I, I guess there is a little bit possibility that you might get to the point of being a badger of God. But if we... Look back at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What do we see? He prayed, not once, but two or three times these words. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As a matter of fact, he went to his disciples and he said, Pray with me, and then he went to pray, and uh, he came back to them, and they were sleeping again. And he said, "Why did you not awake?" And then he went and prayed again. So after these prayers, the same prayer repeated. He then, of course, went to the cross for us, because that was the only way that God's will could be done. And so that always encourages me about being persistent in prayer and continuing to pray for the same requests. And this passage that we're about to read encourages me in that too. Let's look at the first five verses of Luke chapter 18. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men are always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor nor regard men, yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest, by continual coming, she weary me. I find it interesting that God, or that Jesus, who is God, that God would use this example of an unjust judge to show us about persistent prayer. But there's some interesting things here, how this widow kept coming and talking to this judge and saying, Avenge me on my adversary, take care of this issue for me. And finally the judge says, lest lest she weary me, I'll do it. Because this is getting annoying to me. Now I would hasten to add that we serve a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't get weary with us. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. So we need to remember that He has all these characteristics that this unjust judge didn't have. But Jesus was telling them to always pray and don't faint. Always pray and don't give up. Paul said it this way. He said, pray without ceasing. Paul said to uh, Herod Agrippa, when he was before him on trial, he said, I would that all men would be just as I am, except without these chains. When and when he said to Paul, almost you persuade me to become a Christian, Paul said, I would that all men would be saved. Paul even goes as far to say, as to say in one of his epistles that he would give up his salvation if it was possible for Israel as a nation to be redeemed. Of course, we know that's not possible, and that, that salvation is an individual thing. But that's how Paul felt about it. And so, I'm encouraged by this because there are things, as many of you know, that I've been praying about for a long time, but I know that God has answered prayers. He's placed me at the potter's house in a job that I absolutely love. Now, my job is classified right now as temporary, and the construction on the school is almost done. So my pray- I would ask that you would continue to pray um, that we can work out um, more job responsibilities so that I can stay on staff and involved after the construction is complete because I feel like God has has given me a place among these kids to be able to impact them for Jesus Christ and to encourage them throughout the day and I think there's a lot that I can bring to the table and so if you could just pray about that I've made my which is known to the administration, so I'm just waiting to see what we can work out. But I know that God answered my prayer and uh, has gone above and beyond what I asked or imagined when I considered working for them. So, And yes, it took five years of volunteering, but volunteering does pay off. So I see God working. I see God working in my van. I see him working through you guys to help me pay off my van. I have a five-year loan. At the rate I'm going, I should be able to pay it off in a year or two. And that's exciting to me, and it just shows me that God is faithful. My van has been on the road six days a week for the last three months. It has not broken down. I haven't been to a garage once, and again... God's faithfulness is evident. So, um, I just want to encourage us, if there's something that you're praying about, to not give up. And to not get ahead of God either. Remember Abraham. He wanted a son so bad. And God said when he was about 75, He said, you're going to have a son but it wasn't like when he was 76 he had a son, no. It was about almost 25 years ago. Abraham was like 90 and 90, I think uh, King James says 90 and 9. So 99 years old. And he was told at about 75 that he would have a son. And he kept making loopholes for God. He said, well, well, Eliezer can be my heir. Or one of my other servants, they can be my heir. And he said, no, your heir is going to come from your own loins. And not only that, but it's going to come from Sarah. And because he got ahead of God, he created one of the worst battles that has gone on for years in the Middle East. Because Ishmael's descendants and Isaac's descendants have been fighting ever since. So we need to remember to stay persistent in prayer Let's look at Colossians 4.2 by way of cross-reference. Colossians 4.2, if somebody gets there, if they could read that for us, I would appreciate it. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. This is the key here. Paul is continuing the thought that we've been addressing here about continuing in prayer. But what does he say after that? He says, continue in prayer with thanksgiving. How often do you and I, I know I do, how often do you and I come to prayer and we say, God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. But thank you never comes out of our mouth. It's interesting to note that in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is talking about the degradation of society, and he talks about how they've gone after their own will, and gone after their own desires, he says one of the first things that happens to them is they become unthankful to God. Becoming unthankful to God is the first way for a culture to slip away from God. And as we see in the children of Israel over and over again, it only takes one generation for a people to forget God. You see, when, jo- when Joshua was alive, the people said, we're going to serve God with all we have. When the people that served God in leadership with Joshua were alive, they're like, we're going to serve God. But then when Joshua and his elders died, there arose a generation that knew not God. Part of me scratches my head and says, how in the world did that happen? But then part of me looks at the culture around us today and says, absolutely that can happen. We have people that are supposedly standing for the word of God who don't think it means what it says it means anymore. The Bible is unchanging. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. And if he's not, then I'm in trouble because I stake my very salvation on that fact. An elderly lady once asked was once asked by a young man who had grown weary in the fight whether he ought to give up the struggle. I am beaten every time, he said dolefully. I feel I must give up. Did you ever notice? she replied, smiling into the troubled face before her. That when the Lord told the discouraged fishermen to cast their nets again, it was right in the same old spot where they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. He didn't move the boat. He didn't say, go up the shore and find a better spot. No, he said, cast your nets on the right side of the boat where you're sitting right now. And then... Of course, we know the end of the story. He sent a dearth of fish so great that their nets were breaking. God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Okay, so we talked about being persistent in prayer. We've seen this picture of this widow and this judge and she keeps hounding him and hounding him and finally he answers. So what's the next step of prayer? The next one is also a P. It's be patient in prayer. Again, if you're keeping a note, we started with be persistent in prayer. The second one is be patient in prayer. Let's look at Luke 18, 6-8. Luke 18, 6-8. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying here that God will answer our prayers. He will take care of us. The first thing to know about answered prayers is they don't always come, or often come, in the form in which we wish. It's like the man who says, Lord, save me from this flood, and he's sitting on his roof. And a boat comes by and says, get it, they say, get in the boat, and I'll take you to safety. He says, God's going to save me. And the flood gets a little higher and this helicopter comes by and says, jump on this ladder and I'll bring you to safety. And he says, no, God's going to save me. A little while later, the flood water gets so high that he drowns and goes to heaven. And he says to God, why didn't you save me? He said, I sent the boat and the helicopter. Why didn't you take either one of those? And we have a world today that whether they know it or not, they're looking for salvation. They're looking for answers. They're looking for a way to cope in this world. Because all is vanity, says the preacher. And grasping for the wind. But they're looking in all the wrong places. There's an old song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's what we're doing. But... As the hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful faith. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, when we're looking on Jesus, the things around us don't seem so bad. I know I struggle with this myself. So I'm pointing four fingers back at myself as I point one at you. But this is the truth. You see, sometimes I feel like I haven't accomplished much in my life. And then I step back and I look at all the litany of blessings that God has given me and I realize, wait a second, I've done more than I ever thought possible. And it's all because of Him. I remember when I was looking for a job, and then when I got this job at the Potter's house, I didn't think I did all that much. And so I was like really excited to be working now. And Then I realized all the other projects that I have going, and I was like, I have to get all this done. And I realized that I actually was doing quite a bit. And I actually have learned a lot about being productive through being busy. I think that's why people say, if you want something done, Ask a busy man. Because if someone's not busy, they'll find every reason to put it off. Procrastination. It's like the guy who said, I'm starting a procrastination club tomorrow. (laughs) But the point here is that God will answer our prayers. And often the thing that we thought we wanted is not the best thing for us, but the thing that we get is far better. This is the best job. The job I have now at the Potter's House where I get to interact with these kids. It's the best job I've ever had and the job itself. It's the best pay I've ever had and the most hours I've ever worked. And I'm so blessed that God has allowed that to be the case. And that... Just in time before I would be driving back and forth to Grand Rapids six days a week, including Sundays, he made sure that I had a good van for it. What a blessing! Let's look at Second Peter three nine. Second Peter three nine more about being patient in prayer and patient in general. If you get there, please read it for us. 2 Peter three verse nine. Blackness, but his long, but his long suffering, and and us were not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. If, if you go on in that passage, I don't know if it's before or after. Peter is saying we don't follow cunningly devised fables, and so when people come up to you and they say, "Where is the promise of his coming? Why isn't he here yet? If he's if he's coming?" Peter reminds us that the reason he hasn't come is because of his mercy. If you're anything like me, you have friends that you love dearly who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of them even resent you for trying to share the truth of the gospel with them. And for them, I can only pray that someone who isn't as close to them as myself can be led into their life in such a way that they would be drawn to the Master. And then there's always the reality that not everyone will choose Christ. So some of my friends probably won't be there. And that grieves my heart. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's job. My job is to share the message. My job is to be loving. My job is to pray. We don't read about anyone specifically praying for Saul of Tarsus, but I wonder if there was. I wonder if there were people who said, hey, if Saul became a believer and he used that zeal for Christ, maybe he could do great things for the kingdom. Perhaps Barnabas was one of those people because he was the first one to reach out to Saul and give him the right it's kind of where we get the idea of the right hand of fellowship. Because Paul or Barnabas extended that to Saul and went to the church and said, this is the changed man. Jesus Christ changed him. And you can trust him because I'm sure a lot of them thought he was a spy. And a lot of them probably afterwards were like, I never thought that God would save that person. The only difference between me and the worst sinner on earth, if that could even be quantified, is the grace of God. I spend my days at the potter's house and there are some broken kids there. Some kids that don't have two loving parents who've been married for years who raised them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I thank God every day for my upbringing, especially since working there. I don't have to ask myself some of the questions that some of these kids do. Where is my dad? Why doesn't he want to be home? I don't have to ask that question because my dad does. I'm so thankful for that. And if that wasn't your reality, i grieve with you because it's not God's plan. But we can be thankful that we have a Father in heaven who is there, who will never leave us, and who is patiently waiting for the rest of his flock to come to him so then he can call us home. This is a tough one for me, but I think it's a good quote. It says, true patience is waiting. Without worrying. See, I get the waiting part down because I can't do anything about waiting. I just have to do it. The fact that I don't drive means that I have to wait an average of an hour, you know, a half hour to an hour after I get out of work before I actually get picked up from school. Fortunately, most days, I it's not a bad place to be stuck. Um, Friday was a bit of a challenge because everybody was going to be gone by one so I had to do some scrambling to figure out my transportation but God provided but I'm a worrier and so this quote by Charles Swindoll true patience is waiting without worrying really spoke to me yesterday as I was preparing And then I have another quote. This one's kind of humorous. It's a poem it's a little poem. It says, Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, never in a man. I don't know how accurate that is, but I thought it was kind of funny. So so we've talked about being persistent in prayer. We've talked about being patient in prayer. Those are our first two points. Our third and final point this morning is be proper in prayer. Be proper in prayer. As I often tell people when I'm preaching the gospel, I say to them, it doesn't matter what the words you use are. It matters what your heart is. There isn't a magical formula. It's not a five-step process. It's a heart attitude. Luke 18, 9 to 14, shares this story. And he spake this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, doesn't that typify the human condition? You can always find someone who's worse than us. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes to heaven, but was smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and him that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So Jesus is taking it another step. We, not only should we be persistent in prayer, not only should we be patient in prayer, but we should be proper in prayer. There is a proverb that says, In the multitude of words there lacketh not sin. When I was taking journalism classes in college, they always told us to say what you want to say with as few words as possible, which was kind of discouraging when they wanted you to write a five-page paper. But that's neither here nor there. I had one particular professor who said that I never wrote papers long enough, but that I said more in my papers than other students who wrote longer papers. So go, go try to figure that out. I'm still scratching my head about that one. But the point is that the amount of words don't really mean that much. Here's an interesting example of that. Has anybody ever heard of the Gettysburg Address? It was one of the shortest presidential speeches in history. And it's interesting that as part of that address, Abraham Lincoln said, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but I cannot forget what these men did here. Yet it's one of the most memorized speeches in American history. And it was so short and the guy that spoke before President Lincoln spoke for so long that the photographer thought, "I have all the time in the world to set up my equipment so I can get a picture of the President giving his Gettysburg address." But he spoke for about three and a half minutes. And he was so wrong about what he said that day because we all remembered it, or most of us do. So it's not about the length of a speech. And Jesus is saying that the key to being forgiven, the key to having a sanctified life, is to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I read a novelization of the life of Matthew, and uh, Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye actually supposed that this was about Matthew. I don't know if that's true, but it kind of gives an interesting perspective on the story. It's interesting that tax collectors were specifically mentioned when the Pharisees were mad at at Jesus for, for being among the tax collectors. And yet, one of his followers, who served him faithfully and was eventually martyred for his faith, was a tax collector. And I think it's because Matthew along with the others knew they were broken. So they were able to be fixed. You can't get something fixed if you don't think it's broken. So we need to have the proper attitude in prayer. We need to realize our need and ask God to address our need because we can't meet it ourselves. There's a story told of a lady who tried everything to fix a problem, and somebody said, well, how did you pray about it? And she said, has it come to that? My friends, if that's not your first response then there's a problem. I'm working on that in my own life. My first response when I have a problem should be to cry out to God. And he wants to hear that. Let's read a little bit more about the proper perspective in life by reading 1 Timothy to 16 Christ Jesus. This the faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all our suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. I always think about this story of paul when i'm discouraged by a particular friends of mine who have no interest in the things of god i'm always reminded that if god can save paul no one is beyond hope but i think that we can say that about ourselves if god can save me no one is beyond hope paul Tells the Philippian believers, let each esteem other better than themselves. And he does something which I fear today's preachers often, myself included, don't do enough of, and that is he says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already attained or I'm perfect. He says, I'm not perfect, but I press. Toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's my pressing. That's my passion. Is to be there. Always striving together with you for the faith of the gospel. That's what I want more than anything else. Paul has the proper... Attitude about himself. He says, I was a persecutor, I was a blasphemer, I was injurious. He watched Stephen be stoned. How much you want to bet that Stephen's face was in his mind when he was writing these words? And then I love this in verse 16. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern. This is the pattern of our Lord, to be long-suffering. As I said earlier, we read in the psalm that He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He doesn't want to use His anger on us. He wants to use His loving-kindness. If we choose his anger by ignoring him, that's our choice. And we will be held accountable. But he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants to be with you. Thomas Aquinas said, Bestow upon me, O Lord my God, understanding to know Thee, Diligence to seek thee, wisdom to find thee, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace thee. Someday I'm going to embrace my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Paul said, I seek to lay hold of him who has laid hold of me. That's why the slogan for my ministry is speaking for him who spoke for me. Because one day in 1984, he said to me, I want you to be mine. And I've experienced so much blessing as a result of that. And I just want other people to experience the same thing. As a friend of mine used to say, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars, where I found bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us. We thank you for bringing us here safely. Lord, we pray that you would bless now our time of food and fellowship and that you would um, just help us to be an encouragement to one another. We thank you for these uh, this, this, these words about the attitudes that we should have in prayer and the way that we should go about it. We pray that we would have richer, fuller prayer lives in 2017. In Jesus' name, amen.